0: Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. I'll give you a little bit more time to get there. Philippians 1, verses 12 through 18. Paul writes I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let me pray for us as we begin our time studying the word of God. Lord, we ask for your grace and your blessing upon us. In this time, as we look to your word, God, your truth, we pray, God, that you would speak to us your truth, God, that we would have joy in your gospel, Lord, that we would worship you, that we would behold you, that we would live for you, Lord, I pray that I would not get in the way of your truth, but Lord, even speak through me. Even in my insufficiencies, Lord, may you be glorified, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Years ago, uh, well, how many of you guys have been to Heartstone Bible Camp with us, summer camp? Okay, many of you guys. How many of you guys uh, ever went to Camp Koineo with us for a kids camp? Not staff, not not adults, any of the students? Okay, Alex. Yes, you did. I think the last year, right? So it's been a long time since we've been there. Uh, But we used to go there uh, for, say, kids' camp or even junior high camp. Um, It is really a wonderful campsite. Uh, I do love it. But one of the things that was – they did a lot of things different than we do at Hearthstone. And one thing that they do every day at lunch, they call it mail time. And some of you staffers, you're smiling. It's like, I love that time. It is a good time. It's mail time. And what happens is it's really basic. Um, At lunch – the mail comes in, and usually there's like letters that have come in from your guys's parents uh, that like they write maybe ahead of time or like that day and they send it. you guys have ever received a letter in the mail. You don't even know what I'm talking about. okay, yes, not email, not electronic mail, real mail, kind of like Katarine just sent to us, right? Uh, and so it was just like an update. It was really strange. like literally for some, it would be, Like, the first day at camp, Monday, and, like, the parents are updating their son. Like, oh, we, you know, we miss you so much. So much has changed since you've been gone. You know, like, they give, like, updates. Like, it's been, like, one day. Like, really? But they give updates. Like, oh, your sister Susie, like, she's still eating her Honey Nut Cheerios. And, you know, our dog Sparky he's still barking at the neighbors. And it's like, yeah, of course, it's been a day. You know, like, whatever. Like, you're only gone for a week. But for some reason, like, these letters... I never got one as a, as a camper. My parents never sent me a letter. But everyone else in my cabin, even when I was a camper, I remember when they got a letter at mail time, like they'd go back to their bunk and like they'd read it and like see like, oh, like what's the updates at home? Like what's going on at home? Like they're like in this whole different world at camp, right? So like they want to know like, like what's going on. Like even like now, even as we like read from Katarine, like we get updates and we're like what's going on in her life? Like we want to know. If we were to get a letter from Dubon, which we haven't, we've never gotten a letter from Dubon uh, because he's in a highly persecuted area, and so that it's dangerous uh, for us to send letters back and forth. But if somehow we were to get a letter, let's say Voice of the Martyrs was able to, to get a letter from him to us, that'd be incredible, right? Like how crazy would it be if all of a sudden we're like, "Ooh, this is a handwritten letter from Dubon." I don't know about you, I would be excited. To read that right and to hear like personally what's going on in your ministry like like what what is happening Like, we pray for you but we don't know all the details of what's going on so tell us like we want to read it well here in Philippians we are reading the letter that Paul wrote to this church you wrote this to this church in Philippi and Epaphroditus he went to visit Paul and now here he is he's coming back to the church in Philippi and he's returned with a letter from Paul and they're like yes like we get to hear what's going on with Paul And so the whole church is here to listen what Paul has written what's going on with Paul and the tone from the beginning of this letter already if you've been here the last few weeks it's just full of joy and he starts off you remember from last week with a prayer A prayer of love. Conveying first his love for them and then urging them to love one another more and more. And then after Paul's prayer for this church, he finally gives them a a report of himself. That's where we are in verse 12. Now he's giving a report of himself. He starts his report by letting them know that he's in prison. That's the beginning of his report to them. Now, at this point, they'd likely already known that. Maybe he was confirmed, maybe not. But I don't think it would have been a huge surprise to them. And we'll get why later in this letter. But what is surprising, I think, is what he reports about his imprisonment. His report contains no complaints about him being in prison. He's not grumbling. He's not whining. He's not trying to gain pity from them like, oh, I'm in prison. Oh, it doesn't even have a negative tone at all. In fact, it's the opposite. His report of him being in prison is full of joy. In fact, he's thankful for his imprisonment. He sees the blessings of his imprisonment and he praises God for his imprisonment. How can Paul be so joyful when he's giving them his report of his imprisonment? Well, like we looked at in just the first two verses, Paul can be joyful because he has a Christ centered perspective. And what we'll see tonight is that Paul can be joyful because he finds joy in the advancement of the gospel. Remember, I told you that this book is just full of joy, and we're going to find all reasons why Paul's joyful and why we can be joyful. And here tonight we're going to focus on that, that Paul can be joyful because he finds joy in the advancement of the gospel. Even though things have not gone according to his plan, even though he's in the midst of suffering, he can rejoice because he knows the gospel of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed. And in that he rejoices. So that's where we're going tonight. Our first main section is joy in the suffering, verses 12 through 14. Joy in the suffering. Oh, it got cut off on the top. That makes me sad. I need to fix that. Every week I'm tweaking with it and I thought I had it down, like, like calibrated, like beep, right in there. And now, <laughs> now it's not. I got to fix that. All right. First section. Paul's suffering led to the advancement of the gospel. We see that in verse 12. As we look at join the suffering. First, we see that Paul's suffering led to the advancement of the gospel. Listen to verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Do you see that? I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, what is it that happened to Paul? He says, I want you to know, brothers, what happened to me. What is it that happened to Paul. What the heck? Oh, there we go. So. Digital issues. Oh, I knew I should stick with paper. Anyways, once you, it could be referring to this that he's saying, uh, what is it that, that has happened to me? This thing that's happened to me, this has served to advance the gospel. What? Well, maybe he's referring to his recent imprisonment, saying this imprisonment that I'm in right now has served to advance the gospel. Maybe. But it could also include the things that led up to this point, all the things that led up to this imprisonment which would include a riot, which would include a prior two-year imprisonment, which would include an appeal to Caesar, his life being threatened, being shipwrecked on his way to Rome, being under house arrest, and now having an impending trial. It could be all of this. He could be saying all of this that's happened up to this point has served to advance the gospel. Or it could be this current imprisonment. But whatever it is, it's clear Paul is saying... This suffering, this suffering, whatever it is, has led to the advancement of the gospel. And he's going to explain how in the next couple verses. See, his hope and trust are in the Lord. He knows that God is a sovereign God. That even though this was not his plan, this was not Paul's plan, he knows that this is God's plan. See, when Paul drew up his plan for going out and for sharing the gospel, he didn't say, you know what? I think as part of my plan and my missionary trip. I should get arrested and be imprisoned J- just for a little bit of time. Take a little break in prison and then maybe I'll go back out there. That's not his plan. Paul had a plan to continue to spread the gospel to the Gentiles. Right? That's his plan. He said, I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. I-, I am to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And it's a good plan. But God said, no, this is my plan instead for you to be imprisoned. I mean, how discouraging that must have been. How discouraging you're Paul and you're to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And God has called you and God has gifted you and you're going out and you're spreading the gospel and you're on fire and all of a sudden, nope, now you're in chains. You're in prison. You can't go out and share the gospel to the Gentiles like you thought you were. That would be discouraging. What is Paul's attitude in this? How does he respond to this? He views this suffering and his new circumstances as an opportunity. As an opportunity to share the gospel, to advance the gospel. In fact, at this point now, he can already see ways in which it is true... That his imprisonment has served to advance the gospel. That's why he says what he says. See, the problem at times, I think, is when we're suffering or when things don't go according to our plan, we become inactive or we stop. We don't look around to see the ways in which God is working because we're too busy looking That may be why why we are disappointed. We're too focused on what has gone wrong according to our plan. And we don't look around for opportunities to continue to do the work. Because we're too busy feeling sorry that things didn't go according to plan. And so we miss out. And instead of trusting our sovereign God, we hold on to our plan in which we thought was the best plan. God's sovereignty rules over all. See, everyone in this time, I maybe even Paul included, although we can see obviously he doesn't think this anymore. But I think for sure everyone else, most people would think it would be better for Paul to be a free man than for him to be imprisoned. Right? Like his imprisonment must have seemed like a loss. It must have seemed like, like chalk this up on the in the wind column for Satan. Like, man, he got he got one of the good ones. Like, this is Paul we're talking about. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. And now he's stuck in prison. Like, this is a loss. This is not good. We're going to somehow have to recover from this. Satan got the, the upper hand in this battle. I mean, Paul was being used by God. But now they got him. And he's in prison. And so now what? Is, is it over for Paul? Is it over for the spread of the gospel? And Paul says, no, this is good. He says, it's good that this has served to advance the gospel, he says. Now, he wouldn't have chosen it. He wouldn't have planned it that way. But God did. And praise God that he did. Because God knew better than Paul. And he knows better than us. And notice, Paul doesn't say the gospel has advanced in spite of his imprisonment. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, "Hey guys, good news! The gospel's still advancing, in spite of the fact that I'm in prison." As if like, yeah, I, I, I've been imprisoned, but you know what? Like, in spite of that, it's okay. Like, the gospel's still advancing. He doesn't say that, and that'd be great for him to say, sure. But what he says is actually even greater than that. Instead, he's saying that his his suffering, his, his imprisonment, has served to advance the gospel, not just in spite of. But it has served to advance the gospel. Do you see the difference there? It's not just, "Ah, well, at least the gospel is still being advanced, even though I'm in prison. Like in spite of that, at least it's still going out. No, it's not just in spite of it. It's my, my imprisonment, this suffering, this horrible news. It's actually serving to advance the gospel. This is actually better. It's better that I'm here. This is serving for our mission. Our mission was to advance the gospel. Well, guess what? Me being in prison, which we all thought was a horrible thing, it's actually serving to advance the gospel. I mean, do you see how amazing our God is? That he would take something like the imprisonment of Paul. That would be bad news. And he would not let that hinder the advancement of the gospel, to not let it even stutter at all. But instead, God is orchestrating it as part of his perfect plan to serve in the advancement of the gospel. I mean, incredible. Why do we doubt God? Why do we doubt him? I mean, when has he ever been wrong? I think if I was a Christian in this time, I would start to doubt. God, how could you let Paul get in prison? Man, he was one of our best guys. This is is not good. This is not going according to plan. Paul says, no. This is serving to advance the gospel. So we see God's sovereignty even through our suffering. Next, we see Paul's suffering produced new opportunities for the gospel. Paul's suffering produced new opportunities for the gospel. Verse 13. Listen to what it says in verse 13. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. All right, Paul is now in chains. And specifically what that means, in chains... Is that in his imprisonment there is a guard that is chained to him, attached to him by chain. Right, like here I am, Paul, and then here's a guard that we are shackled together. And throughout the day the guards would change, a new guard for the second watch, and then however long it was, and the third watch, and however long, then a fourth watch, and etc. etc. So on and so forth. It's changing of the guards. Now Paul could have kept quiet like probably the most of us would do, probably like I would do, could just mind his own business. Maybe even complain a little bit about how unjust this is, how the shackles are hurting a little bit, how he's hungry, they're not giving him enough food, and just mind his own business. He's a guard. I don't want to talk to this guy. He's an imperial guard. But instead, Paul sees an opportunity for the gospel. He's thinking, here's someone who is chained to me. He can't go anywhere. Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. And we're talking for hours. You can't go anywhere. Oh, your shift is done? Oh, a new soldier. Hey, have I told you about Jesus? Yes, Paul, you have. Let me tell you again for the next four hours or however long it is, right? That's his mindset. That it just never stopped is what I picture here. Why do I picture that? Because so much so, it says that the whole Imperial Guard has heard about Jesus. I take that to believe. They kept changing them out. And now the whole Imperial Guard, everyone that's been going, cycling in and out through this chain to him, they keep hearing about Jesus. See, Paul is consumed with the gospel. He is consumed with his love for Jesus Christ. I mean one could easily be in a situation and think, man, I, I wish I wasn't here. This is so stupid. I, I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be out there. I'm supposed to be proclaiming Christ. I'm supposed to be preaching the gospel. I'm not supposed to be in here. Oh, I can't wait for this trial to be done. I can't wait to be free so I can go back to preaching the gospel. That would be very understandable for him to think like that. But Paul has the mindset of, no, wherever I am, I am preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether it's out there as a free man or whether it's in here in prison, I'm preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he recognizes that he has a unique opportunity that he would have never have had if he were not imprisoned. See he didn't have the opportunity to preach to the whole imperial Guard, but now he does. Even if they don't want to listen, they have to. And he took that opportunity and he made the most of it. We'll see later. I believe there are those who came to faith because of it. Let me ask you, if you're a Christian here today, do you see God's sovereignty as to where you are right now? Do you see that as an opportunity to serve God? For the advancement of the gospel. Do you see the unique opportunity you have to proclaim Christ where you are right now? Where you are is no accident. The circumstance that you are in is God ordained. The places in which you go, the people in who you see. It's all part of God's sovereign plan. Are you advancing the gospel to those people? Maybe you feel like you are in chains where you are. Maybe you feel like at your job or at your school or in your family or with your friends, there's no opportunity for the gospel. You feel like you're tied down, like you're in chains. Let me assure you of this, that these circumstances have been given to you by God. They've been orchestrated by God. They are part of his sovereign will. And the same God desires for you to proclaim his gospel. Will you bear witness to Jesus Christ where you are? Do you struggle to share the gospel with others? Do you struggle to prioritize Jesus Christ in your speech to others? Is it hard to share the gospel with non-believers? And there are many reasons of why this may be, of why it may be difficult to do so. But let me at least suggest this. Maybe it's difficult to speak of Jesus To non believers, because you don't even speak of Jesus to fellow Christians. Maybe we need to start by prioritizing Jesus in our speech to one another, to our friends, to other Christians. Let me challenge you, Christian, where you are, whether you're in chains or not, use the unique opportunity God has given to you. To advance the gospel there. Just as Paul had a unique opportunity in prison, he said, I'm going to advance the gospel here. Next, we see that Paul's suffering created boldness in believers in verse 14. Paul's suffering created boldness in believers. Not only is Paul's imprisonment affecting non believers in the imperial guard, as we just looked at, but it's also affecting believers as well outside of prison. That other Christians are hearing of Paul's imprisonment and they are now proclaiming Christ more boldly. Look at verse 14. And most of the brothers, talking about other Christians, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, this letter that he's writing is believed to have been written around 61 A.D., which would be right in the middle of Nero's reign. You guys know Nero? For those who are familiar with Nero, you know that he heavily persecuted Christians. Nero did. He was known for hanging Christians in his garden and lighting them on fire as torches to provide light for his garden. That's what he did to Christians. That's who's reigning, who's in charge right now. So there's no doubt that there were some Christians who may have been more quiet in their evangelism in the Roman Empire. Maybe you would be. I don't want to be a torch in this guy's garden. With that in mind, I think it's significant to see that Paul's imprisonment served as a tool to create boldness in other Christians. That God in his sovereignty used the imprisonment of Paul to create boldness in other Christians so that they may speak the word without fear. So now, because of his imprisonment, we have internally the gospel is being spread to all the imperial guard. And now externally, the gospel is being spread by more Christians who are now emboldened to share the gospel. Do you see that? See how his imprisonment is just affecting the gospel, the advancement of the gospel everywhere, both in and out of prison? Do you see how our suffering is bigger than ourselves? What they intended for evil, God meant it for good. Paul's in prison. But non-Christians are being saved. Christians are becoming emboldened to proclaim Christ. The suffering of Paul is producing much good. See, I think sometimes we run away from suffering too quickly instead of living for Christ despite the suffering that it may produce. And as a result, we miss out on the many blessings that come with suffering. Sometimes the fear of suffering prevents us from proclaiming Christ. Can you relate to that? I don't want to proclaim Christ to my friends for the fear of what they might say, for the fear of what they might do, how they might view me. Christian, will you be bold and speak the word without fear? Why is it that we can be bold with so much, with so many other things in life, that we can be bold about our favorite sports team. We can be bold about our preferences. We'll let everyone know about our preferences. We can be bold in how we speak to our parents. I'm shocked sometimes about how I hear you guys speak to your parents. We can be bold in how we speak to our friends. How we speak to our co-workers. We're bold in that. We're bold in many things. Why is it so hard to be bold when it comes to talking about Christ? Christian, is he not your everything? Is he not your greatest love? Will you proclaim him? Will you proclaim Christ? Will you be bold to speak the word without fear? They heard of his imprisonment, and that emboldened them. You know, when we read Jesus Freaks, we read Jesus Freaks once a month. I hope it emboldens you we don't just read it to read a story i hope it emboldens you guys those people we read about in jesus freaks those are real people literally these are people who are literally given their lives for the sake of christ real people with real families who really died in these ways for the sake of christ And I hope that as you hear those stories, they embolden you to proclaim Christ. That you can say, wow, I I share the same spirit that they had in their heart. I proclaim the same gospel that they proclaim. I live for the same kingdom that they live for. And they gave their life for Christ. I think I can give my reputation up. I think I can give up a little discomfort. I think I can give up a little awkward moment with my friend will you be important to proclaim Christ well we've seen the joy and the suffering but now let's look at the joy and the proclamation verses 15 through 18 the joy and the proclamation the first thing that we see is the motive behind the proclamation 15 through 17 the motive behind the proclamation Now, while Paul's imprisonment created boldness for others to speak the word right now. Okay, great. All these people are proclaiming Christ. That's wonderful. Not everyone did so with right motives. Listen to verse 15 through 17. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. That's not good. But others from goodwill. That's good. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. That's good. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. That's not good. So there are two groups of people here. One group has good motive. The other group has wrong motive. And the group with good motive preaches Christ from goodwill. They see that Paul is in prison because of preaching the gospel. And they see he cannot preach in public like he previously was. Paul used to be out here in the streets preaching. He can't do that anymore. He's in chains. And so they decide to pick up the mantle. They're emboldened to speak the word without fear. And they want to continue the work that Paul has been part of. The proclamation of the gospel. You see, they see. They see that there's a hole. They see that there's a need in the ministry. And so with boldness, they feel that need. They proclaim Christ. Side note here. How do you respond when you see a hole, when you see a need in ministry? How do you respond? Do you wait to see if others will fill it? Does fear prevent you from stepping in? Because likely it will require sacrifice. Likely it will require risk. you have joy in the proclamation and advancement of the gospel that you can say, here's a need, and so I will fill it. Because I have joy in the advancement and proclamation of the gospel. See, this group saw a need, and so they stepped up, and they did so with good motive. They did so out of love. Now the other group, they also proclaimed Christ, but they did so out of envy and conceit and out of rivalry they did so seeking to afflict paul in his imprisonment now how it would afflict paul in his imprisonment is unclear maybe the fact that that more people are out there preaching the gospel that that somehow that would affect the uh, authorities' treatment of paul and his impending trial like, oh, look at what you've done, Paul. Now all these people, the gospel keeps spreading, so maybe that's going to affect in a negative way Paul's impending trial. Maybe that's why people were proclaiming the gospel. Maybe they sought to take advantage of Paul's absence and assume his status. Now that he's bound in chains, like, oh, I kind of like that, that popularity he was gaining. Now, now that he's of the picture, let me step in and kind of take the top rank. Let me be popular. Maybe they sought to make him jealous. As they're able to preach, and he can't because he's in prison. And he just wants to preach out there, but he can't. Oh, look, Paul, you can't. You're in chains. God must not be happy with you, but look at me. I'm out here. I'm preaching. To get at him. It's not clear what they were seeking. But it's clear that their motives were bad. Because it was done so out of envy, rivalry, to afflict him. Now, I think we need to recognize that this group, while they had bad motives... I believe that they were in the faith. I believe these were Christians. Notice Paul doesn't address them like he addresses the Galatians. He's he's not condemning them for their false doctrine. He's not saying, you know, I don't think these these are Judaizers or, or false teachers that are preaching a false gospel. He's not condemning them for that. He's not condemning them for a false gospel. These guys preached and proclaimed Christ. It's their motive that he addresses. So let this be a challenge to us to evaluate our own motive and our own mindset towards ministry and towards others in ministry. Is there jealousy and envy in your heart towards others in ministry? When you see them succeed, do you grow bitter? Do you compare yourself to others and and compete with them in ministry? In fact, maybe the only reason why you want to step into a ministry is that they don't, so they can't. Maybe you like to be seen by others and you want the praise from others. And so you serve to be recognized. Do you serve in ministry so you feel good about yourself? so you can compare yourself to others and and say that that you're a better Christian than everyone else because here you are serving? Do you serve in ministry so that God is happier with you, so that He's pleased with you instead of resting in the unchanging love of God and the fact that He's already pleased in you because of what Christ accomplished on your behalf? What are your motives in serving and proclaiming Christ? Well, may we have joy in ministry. May we have joy in the proclamation of the gospel. And may we have motives that are good and Christ-honoring, that are done so out of love. Well, lastly, we see to rejoice in the proclamation of the gospel, verse 18. Rejoice in the proclamation of the gospel. Verse 18. What then? Like, he's just saying, like, look, man, these people proclaiming Christ, some good, but some bad. Like, some are doing it with envy, rivalry. Like, they're trying to get at me. So, what then? Like, what about that? He says, we got to find these guys. We got to tie them down, throw them out of town. Like, no. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. He says, great, that's wonderful. See, even though this group is preaching Christ with bad motive, Paul still rejoices. He rejoices because even through their bad motive, Christ is still proclaimed. And in that, he rejoices. See, that's what matters, that Christ is proclaimed. That's what we rejoice in. That Christ is proclaimed. Now there are some who teach a false gospel. We don't rejoice in that. No. In fact, he addresses that. Remember, as I said, in his letter to the Galatians, we do not rejoice in a false gospel. But that's not what's happening here. People have bad motive. Yes. People are trying to afflict Paul in this. Yes. But they are preaching Christ. He's proclaimed. So praise God. Do you see what matters here? It's it's not the one who's proclaiming it, but it's the one who's being proclaimed. That's what matters. Let the glory of Christ be your main concern. Let the glory of Christ be your passion. Paul cared more about Christ's glory than his own glory. Could Paul's status have gone down because of this? Certainly. He's in prison. He's not out on the streets. Meanwhile, all these other people are out there and they're doing the work that Paul wishes he could do. Paul could have been like, oh, these guys are not even, they're trying to get it, they're doing it for all the wrong reasons. the glory of Christ. Do you want nothing more than for Christ to be glorified? Even if that means you don't receive any glory. You don't receive any credit. Even if that means other receive the credit instead of you. Praise God that Christ is being glorified. That's our goal. That's our passion. Do you rejoice in the proclamation of Christ? When others are proclaiming Christ, when others are sharing the gospel, when when, when others are sharing their testimonies, like in a couple weeks in the baptism service we're going to have, do you rejoice in that? When your friends want to talk about Jesus, when they challenge you in your walk, when they speak the word of Christ to you, do you rejoice in that? Do you accept that? Do you engage in that? Or do you push it away? Do you change the subject? Do you avoid it? Do you rejoice in the proclamation of Christ? Now what about those in here who are not a Christian? Well, Lord willing, if you regularly attend here, you hear Christ proclaimed every week. That's my hope. So I ask you, how do you respond to the proclamation of Christ? For some, you hear Christ proclaimed and you immediately shut him out. You want nothing to do with Christ. You don't want to think about him. You don't want to hear about him. And so you reject him and you run from Him. If this is you, I beg you to stop hardening your hearts. Christ is who you need more than anything. And He is all that you need. And if you are not in Christ, God is opposed to you. You are alienated from Him. As you are an enemy of God. And due to your sin, you stand guilty before God. And in His righteous justice, you will spend eternity in the lake of fire. And do not for a second think that you can get yourself out of this situation on your own. In fact, you could decide from here on out that you are going to have a perfect track record. And from here on out, starting tonight... You're not going to cuss anymore. You're not going to be mean to your siblings. You're not going to disobey your parents. You're not going to look at things that you shouldn't. You're going to start going to church every single Sunday. And you're going to start doing everything right. And from here on out, you will live the right, perfect life. In the end, you will still stand guilty before God. Because you've already broken his law. And you still possess a heart of stone. you are still spiritually dead. But then enters Christ. And this Christ, this Christ whom we proclaim, this Christ who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. This Christ is God. He is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. And he added humanity to himself. And He lived a perfect, sinless life. And He became the sacrificial Lamb and died in our place. And it doesn't end there, but He rose from the dead, conquering over sin and death. And He is coming back again to reign. And in Christ, this Christ, we have salvation. In Christ, we can be washed clean, spotless before God. This is a free gift of salvation found in Jesus Christ. And it is by grace. It is unearned. It is through faith. Faith in Jesus Christ alone. If you are not a Christian here, I ask you, will will you continue to reject Christ? Will you continue to reject him and the free gift of salvation found in him? Or will you rejoice in him? And will you fully place your faith in Jesus Christ and repent of your sins and be saved? May we rejoice in the proclamation of Christ. And if you're a Christian, may we be participants in the proclamation of Christ. Paul is in prison. And as he shares his report of him being in prison, it's not full of complaints or grumbling or pity seeking. It's full of joy. And it's full of joy because Paul has a Christ-centered mindset. Paul is joyful because he sees that his imprisonment has led to the advancement of the gospel. And in that he finds much joy. Where is your joy found these days? Where is your joy found? Is it found in your relationships? Is it found in your success? Your comfort? Your circumstances? If Paul's joy was found in any of these things, he would no longer have joy. All those things have gone wrong for him. His relationships, people were trying to afflict him. His successes, he's stuck in prison. His comforts, nope. His circumstances, bad. But his joy is in Christ. Not in those things. Not in his relationships, success, comfort, circumstance. It's in Christ and the proclamation of Christ and the advancement of the gospel. Do you find joy in Christ? Do you find joy in Christ? When suffering comes, it can be easy to shut down. When others have wrong motives and are even seeking to afflict, it can be easy to shut down. But I encourage you, find joy in the gospel. I encourage you to see where God is working, even in the midst of your trials, even in the midst of of the sins of others. Where is God working? I encourage you to have a Christ-centered mindset, to have a passion for His glory. And I encourage you to never stop proclaiming Christ. Wherever you are, wherever God has you, In whatever circumstance you are in. Even in your suffering. Let me ask you. Who who do you proclaim in your suffering? You? I think that's who we proclaim most in our suffering. The others who caused it? Or do you proclaim Christ? Find joy in Christ. And whatever circumstance you find yourself in, proclaim Christ and find joy in the advancement of his gospel. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your gospel. God, we thank you that it is true. We thank you, God, that it cannot be defeated. We thank you, God, for your sovereignty, even in our sufferings, even in times in which, like Paul, is in prison. God, we see That you are in control. We see, God, that you have better purposes than we can even fathom. Lord, I pray that our joy would be rooted in Christ. I pray that we would have a passion for your glory. That we'd have a passion for the advancement of your gospel. God, embolden us. Spirit, change us that we would not have a heart of timidity, that we would not have a heart of fear, but God, that you would light a fire in us as we go out and speak to our friends, as we speak to non-believers, that we would not be overcome with fear, but that we would be overcome with a joy and a passion for your glory. Lord, give us opportunities to speak boldly of you. And give us the strength to walk through it. God, for those in here who have not bend their knees to you, I pray most of all that as Christ is proclaimed, they would not harden their hearts. God, would you soften their hearts, give them new hearts, breathe new life into them, that they may hear the proclamation of Christ and turn to him in faith and repentance. For your glory we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.